Sermon Index Classics, featuring the vintage audio sermons from the past century. Welcome again to Sermon Index and today's program featuring some of the best sermons preached in the last century. This program is provided by the Ministry of Sermon Index. For more messages, log on to our website, www.sermonindex.com. Now, here's today's program. and of righteousness and of judgment <clears throat> and of righteousness because I go to my father and ye see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged now look at verse 13 how be it and I'm putting an emphasis here how be it when he the spirit of truth is come he will guide you into all truth for he shall speak not of himself but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. There are various contributing forces to this meditation this afternoon. One was the, 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 the fact that there's a slang phrase that I just about detest and that is that you meet people who say something like this have you had the baptism <clears throat> they say it with as much unction as have you had a flu shot uh, and most of them don't mean are you holy what they mean is do you speak in tongues very often uh, somebody sent me a little paper this week and there was a phrase in it that really really gripped me because it was written by a Pentecostal brother and this is what he says we're living in a a charismatic generation that has despised or neglected as he put it the Holy Spirit now you need to sit and think an hour maybe over that but it's very true we're living in a day when there's much talk about charisma you know we used to talk about a man having unction the other day I talked with a very famous man and he said to me you know so and so oh he has charisma now somebody said the reason that Jack Nicholas isn't as popular as a golfer as Arnold Palmer is, Arnold Palmer has charisma. So apparently you don't need to be sanctified to have charisma. It's another word for a, a kind of glowing, outgoing, radiant personality. You know, somebody comes in a room and zoo, the atmosphere changes. They have that kind of personality. And so, to many people again, you know, the Holy Spirit is not a person. The Holy Spirit is an experience, or the Holy Spirit is an influence. But by biblical definition, by the words of Jesus here, the Holy Spirit is a person. As a person, he can speak. As a person, he can rebuke. As a person, he can inspire us. As a person, he can be offended. The other thing that disturbed me, and it did disturb me very much, I was talking with a man who was a very distinguished minister and he said he, he, 
He'd been talking to a lady whose husband had been one of these wild cards, a drunkard, a fighter, a drinker, a gambler, everything. That uh, she wasn't too impressed with his life. He made it in the material world, he drives an enormous Cadillac, he has everything. And somebody said, but listen, you know, he doesn't come in drunk, he doesn't gamble your money, he doesn't give you black eyes, he doesn't... She says, look, I want to tell you, I'll sum it up for you in a sentence. When he got saved so many years ago, his habits changed, his personality didn't. Well, if it didn't, he didn't get saved, that's all I've got to say about it. If you've still got anger and pride and jealousy and maliciousness and something like that, you need to get to the cross real quick. Because Jesus didn't die to deliver you from a lot of lousy sins and the penalty that you get forever. He died to transform your personality. You see, the Holy Spirit does not come. The work of God is not to bless us, it's to integrate his life in your life and my life. Simpson expresses it beautifully in the, in the other hymn that we sing from sometimes. Once it was the blessing, but now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, and now it is his word. And so he goes on. Wasn't his gifts I wanted, now the giver own. You see, you can retain your gifts, even if you're backslidden. You won't retain your fruits. The fruits will wither. The gifts remain. Because God says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Now here Jesus says, now the disciples didn't like this. He says he's going to, to, to leave his disciples and, and, and another person is going to come. And he says when he is come, he doesn't say he'll do the miraculous and raise the dead. This is what he says when he is come. He will reprove or he will convict the world of sin of righteousness and of judgment. I read a prophecy this week. It was written in 1619. I didn't happen to know the writer personally, but it was written in 1619. It's a very marvelous prophecy. It's about these last days in which we live. And this man, though he does not substantiate his argument from Scripture, and he raises a host of theological and eschatological questions. But there's an awful lot of truth in what he says. But he sees at the end time what he calls an army of Melchizedek men coming forward. Oh, you can translate that maybe into another way and talk about a bunch of super saints coming along if you like. Now, once I start thinking about the Holy Spirit, <coughs> I, I, I had automatically to turn to what is perhaps the greatest chapter on the Spirit in the Bible, and that's Romans 8. Here's another thing that provoked me. The, the, the radio, the TV said that one of the great problems right now in the nation is absenteeism. People backing off from duty, responsibility, going to work. You know, uh, the phone rings. It's Mary. She can't come in today. She has a terrible headache. Oh, she's been tomorrow all right. This is Jack. He calls the office of the factory and says, I can't come today. Uh, oh, I got real stomach upset. Because he doesn't say he was drinking beer and a lot of junk till midnight last night, but he says he has a stomach upset and uh, he can't make it. Somebody else says, well, I would have been there, but you know what? My uncle came in from Australia. He's only here for 48 hours, so I'm not coming in today. I'm not coming in tomorrow. Well, you say they're all reasonable. Well, this is the point the Lord got through to me. He may not get it through to you the same way. Have you noticed 
that immediately your physical constitution is a little bit out of kilter, that it telegraphs up to your mind and your mind says something to your will and your will says, can't go to work today. Can't do that today. Can't do something today. Not with a headache like this. Not with a stomach like this. Not when Uncle John is coming. He could cut you out of his will. Ten dollars less. You could be in real trouble. Now let me ask you a very simple question. Does the spirit get through to you as easily in your spirit as your tummy gets through to you? Hmm? I mean, you, you, tomorrow you're going on a day shopping and you get up with a burden tomorrow and you call Sister Jane and say, Listen, Jane, I, I'm sorry, I can't come. You know, God's put such a burden uh, of Africa on my spirit, I'm going to have to spend 12 hours on my stomach. Huh? You're going on a business trip and the Lord intervenes and says, Look, I want you today to do that. Does he do it? Look, if the Holy Spirit is power, let's turn the switch on. God knows we need it, here and everywhere in the church of God. If he's power, turn the switch on. If he's a person, listen to him. I'm convinced, I'll get to it maybe a, bit, a little bit later, that what it mentions in the 19th verse of Romans 8 about the manifest sons of God. Do you know what? God will hear your prayer. I don't believe that's a secret anymore of God hearing your prayer. The secret is you hearing God. Now, when did you last hear him? Come on. Not reading streams in the desert or squirts in the wilderness or something. But, but when you're really down along with God, you read the word of God and suddenly you heard a voice say, No, or yay. He's a person. Is it Watts or Wesley that says, He speaks and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive, the wounded broken hearts rejoice, the humble poor believe? Somebody asked me the other day if I get discouraged with it. Not on your life, I don't get discouraged. Why should I? I know what God has called me to do and I say it. And I found an answer to my problem years ago. I'm going to talk to preachers this week. Fine, they'll get mad for sure. At least I hope so. <coughs> and uh, it's very thrilling to get them upset. But you know, I got a secret from God. It isn't a secret in one sense. It's that word again about the Apostle Paul going down Damascus Road and he testifies three times about it in the Acts of the Apostles. And he says, we went down the road, I, a company of people with me. And you know what he says? There shone round about me and them that journeyed with me a light from heaven. I heard a voice. Nobody else heard the voice. I don't read anybody else hit the dust. He was a violent man. God threw him off his horse. He couldn't have been walking all the way he was going. God threw him off his horse into the dust. He was violent. God deals violently with violent people. The heart of Lydia opened like a flower. Did you ever hear a flower make a noise? Mine, if some of us had made a sunset, it would wake up with a thousand earthquakes every morning just to show we did it. But the old sun gets out of bed in all its majesty and never makes a noise. God works silently in some people's lives. The heart of Lydia opened. But going down that Damascus road, Saul says, I heard a voice. Have you ever realized again it's the very word that Daniel said? Others round about me saw light. I heard a voice. Now, the only way I get discouraged this afternoon is that it's out of the bunch of us that are here, less than 500 <coughs> 
that if one doesn't hear the voice, I'd be pretty discouraged. If one does, I'm satisfied. rest of you can get some light, I hope. If you don't hear a voice, I'm sorry. Romans 8 again is the, is the well, of course, it depends who you follow. <laughs> somebody said it's the most profound chapter ever written and somebody else will come up and tell you Revelation something is the greatest chapter and somebody else will tell you another. But certainly this, this beautiful chapter, Romans 8, is the, is the chapter of the Holy Spirit. Oh, you might say the epistle is because 26 times in the epistle the apostle mentions the Holy Spirit. Eighteen of those times are in this chapter. He has eight different names for the Holy Spirit. But again, what an amazing chapter this is. You see, when all is said and done, the Holy Spirit, when he is come, Jesus says, he will glorify me. He has nothing to give of himself. I tease people because I know it provokes them, I like to provoke them, that the Holy Spirit has no gift. The Word of God says Jesus died and rose from the dead and what? He led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. He purchased them with his own blood and they were not there. The Holy Spirit is the, is the executor of the Godhead. I don't know how many people I've had in my lifetime who've told me, listen, when I die I'm going to leave you something in my will. There must be people in England nearly 200 years old because they told me 50, 60, 70 years ago they'd leave me something and got a dime. Maybe by now all they leave me is bills anyhow, so I hope nobody can find my address. But you see, the Holy Spirit, he's the executive of the Godhead. He takes the treasures Jesus purchased for us and he distributes them according to his will. Look at verse 34 of chapter 8 here in Romans, will you, for a minute? Or rather look at verse 33 for a moment. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Now look, if you believe that, you don't even never need to have a worry in your whole life from here to eternity what people think, as Brother Herb said earlier, didn't care. What about my reputation? Take it to the cross, then you'll have no trouble with it. Get it crucified. What's reputation? Well, I'll tell you what God told me in my twenties. I was a young man. Did not God told me one day? You don't need to worry about reputation. Reputation is what people think you are. Character is what God knows you are. You can do what you like with my reputation. Stamp on it, spit on it, distort it. I'll enjoy it. I'll laugh with you. You can't touch my character. He has that. And that's inaccessible to you. And I've got better news than that. I'm not you afraid of you so much. It's inaccessible to the devil too. <laughs> sure. You see, this man, this man's come out of Romans chapter 7. Oh, what a chapter Romans 7 is, eh? It, 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 it's a soul in captivity. Do you know what Romans 8 is? In, in the language of the modern hymn, it's the song of a soul set free. Romans eight, 7 is a funeral march. Romans 8 is a wedding march. Romans 7, the man is in the tomb. Romans 8, the man is in triumph. Romans 7, I don't believe he's even about a, a saved man, I believe it's an unsaved man. Good night, if you've all the rotten stuff in Romans 7 after you're saved, you better not get saved, just go join the Mormons or be a Mohammedan or something. 
Romans 7 is defeat. Romans 8 is deliverance. Romans 7, the man is a victim. He's conquered. Romans 8 is a victor. He says in verse 37, he's recited things that might come and may not come, and then he says, what? We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That's nice, isn't it? That's superlative, if you like. Somebody asked an old country preacher what it meant to be more than conqueror. He says, well, it means you shoot at 13 duck, 12 ducks and kill 13. Well, that's a pretty bad bit of logic, but I'll tell you what it is. Being more than conqueror is getting victory and not being exhausted at the end of it. Jesus didn't rise after he came out of the temptation of 40 days. I like to read that story. You talk about what? Mocking the devil. He was led of the Spirit into the wilderness and he was beaten and battered for 40 days and nobody knows what happened. You say, I can tell you three trials. You can't. You can only tell me three that happened after he came out of the severe temptation. And then when he came out, you know what it says? He came out in the power of the Spirit. I like that. I guess the devil was tearing his hair and spitting and roaring and saying, you know, I just thought I got that fellow down where I wanted. And Jesus says, would you like to go through it again? Because I'll take you on another 40 days and lick you anyhow. Superfluous energy. Victory with a margin left. Where were we? Verse 33. Verse 34. Listen to this. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. All right. Remember, he is a man in triumph. He's liberated. He says it is Christ that died. All right. If it's Christ that died, can the death of Jesus Christ be contested? It is Christ that died. Therefore, this is our substitution. He says he's at the right hand of God. So he's not only our substitute, he's a sovereign. He's there in majesty on high. And he maketh intercession. So there's supplication. What more do you need? You've got substitution for our sins. We've got sovereignty. He's triumphed over death and sin. And we've got supplication. He, he liveth to make intercession for us. There's almost a holy swagger here, isn't there? In verse 8 he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus, as long as we walk after the flesh and not after the spirit. One of the most rousing hymns I think ever sung. We sang it up at Asbury the other week. I got them to sing it two or three times because the pipe organ made up for what they couldn't sing anyhow. But, but it was majestic. <clears throat> Wesley's hymn, No Condemnation Now I Dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine, bold I approach the eternal throne, that I have access. My breath is in my nostrils. The only thing I own in the world is not a house or a car, one beat of my heart, and I have the right to go to that eternal throne. I say reverently, my God, we're going to be terribly embarrassed when we get to heaven and look how we played around with Christianity. I have a sovereign, a lord, a majestic saviour with everything under his feet. I have one living there to make intercession for my feeble prayer. If I said A, B, C, D, E, F, G, in, in, with a bird in my spirit, he'd interpret it to the Father. Sure. 
king levels to make intercession. Oh, I like to hear men pray. I like to hear men sweat in prayer, grieve in prayer, weep in prayer, roar in prayer. Because one of the ministries of the, of the Holy Spirit is a ministry of intercession. But again, this race is not to the swift, this battle is not to the strong. Prayer is not to the man with the most elastic vocabulary. If it was, I'd swap the dictionary every day. Prayer is not according to the man who can present his needs most eloquently to the Eternal Father. What about the deaf and dumb? What about those who are retarded? Let me tell you something else. Time's running on. Look at verse 9, will you please? Romans 8 and verse 9. Ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now that's enough to keep us going all afternoon. The Spirit of God dwelling in you. Look at the next verse. And if Christ be in you, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. You mean to say you've been living on the miserable level you've lived this week and God dwells in you and the Spirit... Well, well just a minute, I've got something else for you. Would you mind reading verse 11? If the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you? Come on! If that miracle of regeneration happened in your life, if you were born again of the Spirit of God, then God came to indwell you, the Spirit came to indwell you, and the Son came to indwell you. Before ever you got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Dear God, why do we live at this poverty level when we have all these riches? Why is the church so weak when there's all... I, I'm linked to omnipotence? Oh, there's a sense in which you're, you're justified if you pray in the language again of James when he says that, that God won't rebuke us for our ignorance, but uh, we can pray for wisdom. But there's also the other side of the coin in which it says, if Christ dwells in you, he is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Disagree with me if you like, and if you do you'll know you're wrong, but you disagree with me if you like. Do you know what I've discovered? There's an awful lot of people want to be good. There are not many people who want to be spiritual. A lot of people want to be good. They don't want to be spiritual. Yeah, I'll sing mansion over the hilltop, but don't ask me to take up my cross. My Jesus, I love... Well, the whole realm of nature mine, he says. Why don't you give me what you've got? And, you know, and you'll never own the whole realm of nature. Stump up what you've got. You know, we never fool God. All we do is fool each other and fool ourselves. Oh, yes, I can get emotional singing. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life. Well... Pity he didn't stop there. That's not too bad. My soul, my life, my all. Ooh, Ooh that, that really hurts, doesn't it? It jags you a bit. Huh? I mean, he could have left that out, couldn't he? I mean, your soul and your life's enough without asking for all. That's... But you see, God, God, God gave you everything in Jesus Christ and he asked everything in return. There's no part-time discipleship. There's no part-time spirituality. 
Now I say I'm convinced again there are many that want to be good but there are very few that want to be spiritual. I talked just before I came to the meeting with an old veteran missionary. He's out in California just preparing to leave and go back to South America. I think when I first met him he was working in Borneo and had an awful time down there. He's beaten up, he's wrinkled, he's been through hell. His wife's health has been shattered, she gets restored. One day it's like heaven, the other day her body's in awful pain. Some wages there for serving God when they've been 30 years on the mission field. You say you ought to be as bright as an angel. Well, I'll tell you what, I happen to read my Bible and it says the outward man perishes but the inward man is renewed day by day. And as you get older, you find your body doesn't respond the same, does it? Nana, are you, can you play tennis? No, she says no. Okay, uh, your, your body won't keep up, your energies don't keep up, your mind isn't. The outward man perishes, say what you will. But you know what he said? He said, Brother Ravenel, you know, I'm, I'm so disturbed about two things. One is the complacency in the church. The other is, and he's a veteran, he served God. Man, he could have quit years ago. He'd done a lifetime's work and he went to another mission field. And he said, the thing is, God has been shaking me up so much in the last few months. I, says, I said, glory to God, brother. He'd been doing the same with me the last few weeks. Oh, yes. Oh, he keeps tearing me up, keeps disturbing me, keeps rebuking me, keeps showing me areas that I know so little about. Well, he said, you know, Brother Raymond, down in South America, the Spanish preachers in the, in the, in the Pentecostal churches particularly, they, they get people saved, they get them going on with God, and then when they get to a certain place, he said, you'll hear a man say, ah, yes, you wanted God, you wanted his blessing, you wanted the baptism, you wanted the gifts. But as soon as you took the pacifier out of your mouth, you started grumbling. Huh? Why are you so happy? Still got a pacifier? Hasn't he laid any challenge there? Hasn't he made any demands there? Tell us all we have to do is clap and have a wail of a time and give a little tithe and be blessed. Wait a minute, when he starts crucifying the flesh, when he says don't go to the cross, get on the thing. Oh, then, of course, it becomes a different story entirely, doesn't it? <clears throat> this is a tremendous chapter, I said, and I say again. It's all through the finished work of Jesus Christ. He has ascended, and nobody can challenge the substitution he made for me on the cross. He's not only my substitute, he's my sovereign. You know, sometimes I think, you may not do this, I think I live sometimes as though God, Jesus didn't quite get through with it and finish the job. But I'll tell you what he said on the cross. Just two words. Maybe we ought to write them here, maybe you ought to write them on a piece of paper, stick them on the mirror where you keep looking at your beautiful self, and, uh, and, and see a sign there every time you look, and it just say this, it is finished, three words. He can't come back and do anything else. If he did, he didn't do a perfect job. He did a perfect job. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain. You could stack their bodies until you couldn't see the moon. You could have a river of animal blood bigger than the river Amazon. But not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give one guilty conscience peace or wash away one stain. But Christ the heavenly Lamb takes all our sins away. 
The one tragic moment in hell was when Jesus said it is finished and he pulled the empire down. And you see Jesus strutting, the only time he strutted in the book of the Revelation, and he says with a triumph, you know what? <laughs> I finished the job and listen, these are the keys of death and of hell. Mm. You know, if we really knew it, Lucifer's got nothing left. He's got nothing left. Let me come to three simple things in this chapter, 22, 23, 26. <clears throat> Verse 22, we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits, it's really first fruit in the original, first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to with the redemption of the body. Verse 30, 26. Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself, that's the worst translation in this version, it's really the Spirit himself maketh intercession. You see, the true Spirit of prayer, the Spirit of God in me creates it. And he at the right hand of the Father communicates it. And the Father on the throne considers it. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always work in harmony. Remember, it's not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's this way, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not, N-O-T, as Tozer used to say, the junior partner in the Godhead. They're equal in majesty. They're equal in glory. Every work of... I, I, I say this many times to myself in prayer. I guess I've said it here more than once. And what's more, I'll tell you more than once again. Every work of the Holy Spirit is majestic. The world was a, was a ball of mud hanging up there in the, in the universe and the Holy Spirit brought it and he brooded over it. And go down the road just now and see all those uh, blue bonnets and lovely flowers. He put them prodigal there with his colour huh? He made the stars those heavenly flames, he counts their numbers, calls their names, his wisdom's vast and knows no bound, a deeper all our thoughts are drowned. Oh! He made this universe, he put the stars in their sockets. He was there before the trees of the fields clapped their hands and the morning stars sang together. He was there in the bosom of the Father. And he brooded over a dirty pile of mud and it became this marvellous world that we haven't discovered yet. And one day he brooded over the empty womb of a young beautiful maiden and he conceived Jesus Christ there just like he conceived creation. And one day that man was lying on a slab, cold and dead, as, as dead as the slab he was on. And the devil thought, man, I just got him. I knew he wouldn't get up. He hasn't. He's not going to make it. And as I've told you before, he, he said, what can we do? And they put a stone there, and then they put wax over the stone and seals over the wax, and then the sin of the world against the stone. And then Satan says, every demon, put your shoulder to that stone. We've only ten seconds to go, and we can wreck the whole human race. And if you think the first countdown was in Florida, you're 2,000 years too late. It was resurrection morning. 
And all heaven was looking on, and all hell was looking on, and the earth had gone to sleep. Don't you get disgusted, friends forget you. Remember that lovely pathetic hymn, Do thy friends despise, forsake thee, take it to the Lord in prayer. I always feel like saying, would you hand them all a, a, a Kleenex while we sing that self-pitying hymn? Huh? Do you realize that for three years he told them he was the resurrection and the life and demonstrated it and not one of them turned up that morning at Easter? Why do you expect better treatment? All hell was looking on. All the angels were looking on. There's the stone. There's the wax. There's the seal. There's the soldiers. There's all the sin of the There's every demon on his shoulder. And in the last minute when Satan got to 10, 9, what was it? 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2. And he was just going to say one. And the Holy Ghost went in and cheated him. Jesus jumped up from the tomb because the word of God says in this very chapter of Romans 8 the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead listen do you realize if your body raised you from the dead trespasses and sins why get so excited about Lazarus you're as dead as Lazarus maybe you stunk more but you're as dead as he was anyhow you say he opened the eyes of blind Bartimaeus didn't he open your blind eyes He unplugged the ears of the deaf. Weren't you deaf? Didn't we sing it this afternoon? Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, your ransom tongues employ. Hmm? I wonder how often our ransom tongues are employed. I wonder how often we do leap for joy. The Holy Ghost created the world. The Holy Ghost created the Christ in the matrix of the Virgin. The Holy Ghost raised up Jesus from the dead. And not only that, but remember it says what in Romans, pardon me, Hebrews 10, <coughs> the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the How much more, how much more shall the blood of Christ go through the eternal spirit? He needed the Holy Ghost even when he ascended. To say I like Jesus is putting it mild, but you see, our language is so poor. <laughs> I like him because he contradicts all the laws of nature. People say, well, how, how could a man baby be born without a mother, without a father? Well, the first man came into the world without a mother. He's the only person in creation that didn't have a navel. <laughs> but uh, Adam uh, didn't have a mother. Jesus is another father. He came into the world contradicting nature. He walked on the water. That scared him. That scared them. Just to show he could contradict. He didn't do it often. He didn't do it for fun. Most often he took a boat. Some people want miracles every meeting. You will come to ours and, and for a long while, maybe before you see any. We don't need them in that sense, I'm sure. Man, if we could have done what Jesus did, you'd never left the pool of Bethesda all, the way, all your life. He went and healed one man and walked away and left maybe 500 crippled. That would have killed me. I shared meetings often with Miss Kuhlman. And she'd say after the meeting when somebody said, wasn't it marvellous? Oh, she'd say, but brother, how many went away unhealed? That's what gets me. Not that three people were healed. There were 3,000 there not healed. Oh, well, the cameras don't put the pictures on that. Do you ever find a healer write a, write a book on all his failures? Huh? 
You ever testify about all your failures? Come on now. Oh, I once prayed for so-and-so. I saw so-and-so do me that. Fine, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this. On the law of averages, we've got about a hundred failures for every healing or miracle. Jesus didn't take uh, walk on the water for fun. He walked on the water when it was needed. But I'll tell you what, he did it. That's all matters. <laughs> the only man that ever did. No, Peter did it. You say he sank. I say he didn't. The scripture says he did. It doesn't. It says he sank when he was going out. How do you think he got back? Do you think Jesus gave him a pickerback? He walked back to the boat. Sure he did. You see, he only had his eyes on Jesus going out. But when he came back, he had Jesus with him. I think he hung on Jesus' arm. I would anyhow, walking or no walking. And they say, we both go down together or not at all. No, 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 no. No chance of that. But isn't it lovely that Jesus contradicts the laws of men, the laws of science? And one day they were talking to him and he says, you know, uh, one day and they, oh, oh, he's gone. Hey, that must have been nice to see Jesus going up. <laughs> Stupid people say Wilbur Wright was the first fellow to go through the air. Forget it. Elijah went with a chariot with four motors on too. Well, I don't know how many horses he had, but Elijah went up, didn't he, with a chariot of fire? That must have been great to see. See, God's never behind anybody. I mean, never behind in the sense of, 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 of too late. He's always ahead of everybody. And you know, that same Jesus that went walking up the clouds, wouldn't it be wonderful to see <laughs> I've dreamed I've been doing that many times. Walked up all perspiring, for sure, but I dreamed I was walking up clouds. You know, one day he's going to come stepping down the cloud. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Hmm? Particularly if you've just got your gas bill and all the other bills and you're just wondering what to do and suddenly, whoopee, there he is. Huh? You thought it was an earthquake. 10,000 of his saints. Wouldn't it have been impressive if he'd done that the resurrection morning instead of leaving it to the end? I remind you again, he didn't try to impress anybody. Jesus never went to anybody after he was raised from the dead. No sinners. No, sir, you come by faith. This prophecy of 1613 said what we'll need in the end time is a great miracle, a revival of miracles. We've had them for the last 50 years in this country. Nobody, no nation on earth had more. No man had more than Charles Price. Read his books, I think we have them. One of the great saints of Pentecostalism. They dragged him to court because he was healing people. <laughs> he said, I never healed anybody. I never gave a prescription, but I, I happened to work for a master who's pretty good at it. The Bosworth brothers came up. Oh, Roberts, Jack Coe, mentioned them. I met most many of them. We've gone through that phase. It didn't turn the nation to God. Somebody told me, I, I was going to send his name, I won't, that, that Miss Kuhlman's ministry had diminished tremendously before she died. She wasn't getting the same power. She knew it. David Wilkerson told me that she, she didn't tell him, she told his friend, I'm the last of the line. God isn't going to work through anybody that nature, that style anymore. He's going to do it in a better way. But again... <laughs> Don't look so sad, please. <clears throat> it's, the, it's all the power of the Spirit. <laughs> oh, one other thing I should have told you about the Holy Spirit. You know he's a good writer. 
Oh, some guys that wrote for him weren't much good. One was a guy who never went to school, a herdsman of Tekoa. Not sure he got all his calligraphy nice, but I'll tell you what, boy, they left me a marvellous book. Hmm? Holy men of God spake as they were moved. Do you ever feel something churning in you? I do at times. I, 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 I hear women say, we were in a house not too long ago, where a young lady was expecting a baby, within a, within a few days she said, you know, this thing moves in the night, my, how it stirs. In the meeting it was kicking, he's enjoying my preaching actually, but <clears throat> uh, she said, man, one part when you were speaking that he was kicking me like mad. I, great, great, that's good, maybe he's going to be a preacher. The Holy Spirit's energies. Did you notice that in that hymn we sang this afternoon, Eternal Light, Eternal... The Holy... I love that phrase, the Holy Spirit energy. You know, if you, if you link the force of the sun and all nature and every atom bomb and hydrogen bomb and everything else, it wouldn't be a firecracker compared to the power of the Holy Ghost. He raised Jesus from the dead. What do you think kind of power did that? Hmm? He blasted the hole in hell itself. through the power of the Spirit and Jesus raised from the dead he led captivity captive alright let me skip to this quickly what does it say in verse 22 the whole creation groaneth doesn't it doesn't it doesn't it ah. wasn't another earthquake last week they didn't report how strong it was in the, on the Richter scale but another one in Turkey somewhere you, you count back the last five years the strength of earthquakes the hundred, even millions of people being destroyed. My, the other night I was laying in bed, the lightning was flashing till the whole countryside was lit up. You could have read a book with it. Man, if you could harness just one of those flashes, that would last you in electricity all the rest of your life for the whole city. But the whole creation's groaning today. I believe physically it's groaning. I believe the skies are groaning. I believe the earth is groaning. I believe the upset in the, in the weather is part of the groaning of creation. And there's no legislation can put it right. And we ourselves groan within ourselves. Do you? Come on, do you? Do you? Don't answer me, answer God. Do you? Do you? Do you ever groan within yourself? Not for longings, merely for yourself, that somehow you might come to maturity and strength. Do you groan? I, I, I like that hymn this, we sang this afternoon. I like it, I don't like it. I, I choke up when it says, Give of thy sons to bear the message glorious. We've got three of them in different countries, I thank God for. Give of thy wealth to speed them on their way. Yeah, I, I, I'll do that by the grace of God. I like to go out and preach because we give the money to missions. It's great. Pastor says, how much do you want? I say, as many thousands as you can give me. Give me every dime. I won't touch a penny of it. Won't even take expenses for coming. Give me the money that's needed in South America. Let's get moving where there's darkness. This man told me he'd been to the area where Paul and Irene are. He said, I'll tell you what. That's a different kind of Christianity than you'll find anywhere. He said, you didn't drop one hint of light. That bunch down there obey it. They obey it. They're all just young couples in their twenties to thirties with a breathing of God on that community. Already had warnings and prophecies of what God's going to do. 
They've got teenagers that Paul says they can pray and pray till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. They pray like veterans, like men in America or England at 50 or 60 years of age who've walked with God for 40 years. And these kids were 3 and 4 and 5 years of age, but they pray with groanings. And then verse 26 that says the Spirit himself, as it should be, maketh intercession. Now people say, of course, that means tongues, and I don't believe it does. I believe you can pray in tongues, sure, but I don't believe that's what it's talking about here. If it was, God would say so. He happens to be smarter than we are. If he said it was praying with tongues of the utterance, but it's beyond tongues. It's beyond tongues. It's groanings which cannot be uttered. It's Hannah again in the place where she's determined by the grace of God to bring forth that child. And it's not for her sake, it's for God's sake. It's not to take her barrenness, but God needs a prophet 20 years up the road. And she's determined to see that God gets that man. And the priest can think she's drunk and everybody else thinks she's spiritually insane. Why does she care? Let God come on you with a burden for somebody or something somewhere. You won't care a hill of beans whether you think your dress is 50 years old or your hair's the wrong style or your nose isn't the right shape. You won't, you, you won't even see and nor feel. You live in a different world. As this precious brother says, God doesn't really want to bless us. He wants to integrate his life into mine. All right. <coughs> Let me step back. The creation groaneth, we groan, the spirits groan. Why? Now you may disagree with it. Do you know, I believe maybe at the judgment seat you'll discover that Watergate wasn't a moral collapse. It wasn't a political collapse. It was a spiritual collapse. There were 18 different selected preachers went to Nixon and not one of them got through to him. I read a very biting thing. I get the uh, New York Times book review as a gift. Somebody bought it for me and I enjoy it. It reviews 50, 60, 100 books a week. There's a book reviewed by the name of Lancelot. It's in the 20th, it's in uh, the February edition, the 20th of this year, 20th of February 1977. The writer in it says this, if I can remember it exactly, this is a paraphrase and you're very close. Don't talk to me about Christian love. Where is Christian love? It's been preached over radio, over TV, and over the pulpit. And that was the end of it. Now listen to what he says. The Jews knew better. He mentions a name, I won't put the name in. Let's say the men who preached to Nixon. He says they lay down with Nixon and they got up with a different set of fleas. The Hebrew prophets did not hobnob with corrupt men. They were bred in the wildernesses. They were bred in the deserts. They knew better than to compromise with men like that. They had a commission from an eternal God. Maybe Watergate and all that's come out of it will be laid at the charge of those preachers, never mind your politicians. Do you know how many times so-and-so preached before Nixon? No, but I'll tell you what, if Elijah got there the first time, he never got there the second, any time. And you know what? 
snakes and all the bunch with him would never forget that Elijah stood there in the power of the Spirit of God. Let me come to the last comment here. It's in the 19th verse. We'll step back. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now that's the thing that really bit me. That's the thing I've chewed over in the night. I've got out of bed when I couldn't sleep and gone to my office. Manifestation of the sons of God. Is that why the whole creation grown us? Come on now. Is that why the men who preceded Stalin could liquidate 60 million people in Russia in that blasted, damnable uh, revolution they had because the church failed? The whole creation waited for us. The Lord to come? No, it doesn't wait for the Lord to come. It waits for the church of Jesus Christ to put on the whole armor of God and get the quickening of the Spirit of God because the secret of verse 19 terminates in verse 80. Because it says, I'll read 17, that if we're children, we're heirs. Oh, go back, go back a minute. Go back to verse 14, it's an introduction to it. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. All right, we have not received the spirit of bondage again unto fear. Do you remember in the second verse, he says, The Lord, the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and made me free from the law of sin and the death. Not only inward bondage, but the fear of man, the fear of consequences, the fear of tomorrow. We're free. And Jesus says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So what is it saying here? It says in verse 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. So the sons of God, obviously, from that very verse, they're led by the Spirit of God. In verse 15, we're not in bondage, therefore we're liberated by the Spirit of God. And then it says we have the Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, our Father. So we have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. What love do you need? In God's name I ask you. If the Spirit of God can leave me tomorrow, if the Spirit of God can liberate me tomorrow, if the Spirit of God loves me tomorrow, what do I need? I do that I need not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. Now, let me read again. Verse 19. The earnest expectation of the preacher waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. But look at the end of verse 18, which I believe spells the secret of this thing. So what does it say? The glory which shall be revealed in us, not revealed to us in eternity, but revealed in us. What I said before, let me repeat again. It's beautiful to pray. I don't believe that's a secret these days. I'll never diminish prayer. I like to emphasize it. But the importance at this moment, I feel, is not that God hears us, but that we hear God. What is he saying? You know, you've got to a pretty sad pitch when Satan tries to cast out Satan. I listened to a comment the other night. Do you know there's a national agitation against TV right now? Do you know what the PTA is doing in California? It's put every, every one of the major uh, stations, CBS and ABC and all the other junk, every station has been monitored from now till January next year. Do you know what they said? That your child, if your child is an average American child, 
Your child by the age of 15 will have seen 11,000 murders on TV. Your child by the age of 18 will have sucked in 20,000 hours of TV. Now, I'm all for Christian schools. Go ahead. But I'll tell you what. First, number one, a Christian school is no substitute for a Christian home. Number two, sending children to a Christian school won't make them Christians any more than people going to church will become Christians. Number three, if your children are truly spiritual, they'll get more persecution in a Christian school than outside. Do you know why? A friend of mine, a distinguished American, told me this just a few days ago, maybe a week and a half ago, that his children got more persecution in a Christian school than outside. Do you know why? Because people started flooding their children to school. They want them to be good. They want them to be exempt from drugs and filth and rotten literature and everything. But once the Christian child tries to get the other person saved, the other boy saved, and talk about God, he gets more, as much persecution as he did in the other school. The kids want to be good. Their parents want them good. They're not spiritual. Now, there's no sense. There's no sense in saying we're going to outlaw filth in Christian schools if you tap it in the house on your TV. I'm not going to talk to you again about this. I'm going to talk to you today. If you say, I don't want my child to go to a school where there's a pollution, see, he doesn't live in a house where poison comes down the tube. Your children don't need more than one hour a night on TV. Under 14 years of age, you won't like this. It's true, they should be in bed by 8 o'clock. They shouldn't date until they're 19. Not one of my precious sons did. Because, you see, kids don't wake up. They wake up physically, sexually, they wake up. They can do all kinds of things after the 14 or 15. Uh, and if you, if you precipitate them into that, well, don't start screaming to Almighty God for it. You see, your children need a Christian school, okay. They need a Christian home balanced by love, balanced by a thing that's old-fashioned discipline. Now, of course, we wouldn't get this because equal rights and others would storm us. But you know the greatest schools in England and in this country until five years ago were not co-ed. That knocks the bottom out of it. There should be girls' schools or boys' schools, but that's gone forever, I'm afraid. But once they start mixing up at teenage and they get alive physically and sexually in other ways, you start problems, so you better protect them. Isn't it terrible now that the devil can come down that tube? Now, you're going to have to compensate somehow, sure enough. Sure enough. My boys went to good schools. As we would say, they were not, uh, well, the first one was a pretty good school. The, the good schools in England, the schools where they still parade in the central hall in the morning, sing a hymn, have a Bible reading. That doesn't make them Christians in themselves. They're still good, and they don't jostle with girls and boys because there's only boys. That, that's another deal. I'm saying that to say this. <clears throat> I believe we've come right back to the days of Elijah. There's nothing new under the sun. That's what the book says. I went to school where there was filth. They told rotten stories, they had some dirty books, they told lies, they cheated, they stole. Admittedly, it wasn't as popular. Do you know more women, more married women left home last year, deserted home than men? In God's name, where are we getting? Three weeks ago, there was a great big seminar. Everybody has seminars. I think I'm going to have a seminar on seminars. <clears throat> Because everybody's having seminars. There was a big seminar, and it was jammed up in Minneapolis on um, the Christian family. You know, whenever any seminars or we were kids, I'm going to tell you something for nothing. Shoot me if you like. 
But I'm going to tell you that if you take time with your children in the morning, at night, in prayer and instruction, and cut the dummy thing out and somehow get their engagement, you never need, a, you never need to go to a seminar, seminar or a cemetery to, to, to raise your family. No, sir. You know, somehow Mrs. Wesley managed the 19 without. Oh, I've heard people mercilessly criticize Maxwell, L.E. Maxwell, one of the finest schools in the world today, away in Canada. They have over a thousand, I think 1,200 students, they have school age, I don't think they have preschool, they have school age and high school and, and a marvelous system. And people are criticizing, but the proof of the pudding's in the eating, he has seven children. Every one of them has done or is doing work on the mission field or is married to a missionary. A fellow called me the other day and he said, I'm the son of so-and-so and I'm so-and-so. I said, I remember when your, your father lifted his shirt up and spanked your bed behind. He's about six foot two now. He's a big, fine, one of the greatest preachers in the country. They have ten children and every one of them is either a missionary, engaged to a preacher on the mission field, or working somehow or somewhere. A disciplined home, balanced with love, the reading of the word of God. All right, we've come back to the days of Elijah. Now here's a simple thing. In the days of Elijah, there was only one Ahab, only one Jezebel, with thousands of Jezebels and thousands of Ahabs now. Where are the Elijahs? Who are the manifest sons of God? I'm working on it. And, and, and as the Lord helps me, I'll bring you something on it if I get more illumination. But you know what I think, really? I'm not so sure it's super saints, kind of Melchizedek type. I think the last part of verse 18 is that we, um, verse 18, the glory which shall be revealed in us. Do you know what I think? Contradict me if I'm right, and I'll be glad of the information. I don't believe one man ever candidated to be a prophet. Did he? Where did Elijah come from? I'd like to know his dad and mum. I get more interested in fathers and mothers as I get older. He must have had a dad and mum somewhere, don't you think? Huh? What was Moses' dad and mum? Amram and Jacobed, was that him? Boy, that's funny names to write down on your birth certificate. Who's your father? Jacobed, Amram. And, oh. <laughs> hey, they must have been a couple. They didn't care what the government said. The government said, you, you, you give us that kid and we'll drown it. They said, not on your life. We don't obey government. We obey God. <laughs> Think God doesn't joke? The princess goes down to have her bathe and uh, she sees a basket with a babe and she says, Oh, oh, what a beautiful... And you know what? He's one of the Hebrew children. Drown him! That's what you should have said if you'd obeyed her daddy. Hey, not only Moses' father and mother didn't obey the king, she didn't obey him. She says, take him home. I'm going to have him. He's my boy. He's going to be a prince. I'll look after him. <laughs> he that dwelleth in the heavens shall laugh. I guess God laughed at that. The little baby that should be drowned, the government paid his expenses, read the seventh chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, sealed and mighty discovery, became a statesman. Oh, yes. Do you think he ever candidated to be a deliverer? Do you think he'd been praying on the backside of the desert? Lord, take me back as quickly as you can because I want to go see Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the last man in the world he wanted to see. Pharaoh said, let Moses come back, I'll cut his head off. Did he candidate for it? No, the Lord sought him. 
take off thy shoes from off thy Oh, oh it's all right. I've been keeping a register on you, Moses. Got the whole thing. Jesus, 30 years, learned obedience. Oh, you and I wouldn't do that. We take every difficulty out of the way of our kids so they get flabby and there's no challenges. Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. Romans 8. Oh, it's a marvelous chapter. It's full of excitement. And right in the middle it says, Well, I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not... Oh, 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 boy. I mean, why did he put that in? If, if he'd left it out, it would have been a glorious chapter. Why put a cloud in the sky? It's like saying, why do you put black keys on white? You know, it's a wonder they abolished that. The black and white get on all right there. <clears throat> but right in the middle of Romans 8, with all its excitement, the sufferings of this present time. If you haven't read it for a while, would you get a book <coughs> a bit later of Dr. Tozer where he says, God talks to the man that listens. You know what he says? He's never spoken to a man yet that didn't have a broken heart. A man that didn't weep, a man that didn't sorrow. He comes and he takes Moses. Then, then sometime this week, read the 24th chapter of Exodus. See, God doesn't deal with us all the same. Everybody's not going to be manifest sons. You don't want to be. All we want to do is go to heaven. Praise the Lord. Got one or two gifts. Hallelujah. I'll make it. But God's going to have some manifest sons in these last days, in these last hours. See, now they'll prove themselves by hiding away like Moses did for 40 years, by being still before God, like John Baptist was for maybe 20 years, by being forgotten like Jesus was for 30 years. And then that 24th chapter, I wind up with it there. Do you remember what God said to those men there? He says, Moses... leave the multitude uh, you can bring Aaron and her and Joshua and uh, who, was the, who was the other uh, uh, I can never say that name at all Nahab and Abihu you see Israel are going to be down there they're still my people the 70 are going to be here they're my people the others are going to be there and you know what it says that God did not, N-O-T, he did not lay his hands on the nobles. There's one group, here's another, there's another, and he says, Moses, come up here. Why? Why didn't they all go there? Because they all didn't want to hear the thunder and the roar and the lightning and the flashing of God in his holiness. Moses had served his probation well. Joshua isn't there yet. Aaron and her are not there yet. You know, I encourage, I don't know how you encourage your spirit, I encourage my spirit that all over the world, here in America and elsewhere, there are men who are secretly waiting on God. I got a letter the other day, it stirred me. A fellow said, I heard you preach a few weeks ago in a certain place, you preached on Elijah, and right in the middle of it, and you know, I've got everything I wanted. I've been to college, I've been to seminary, I, I have a nice church, and I'm booked. Every night this year, I'm booked into the middle of September. 
And just as you were speaking and you said, go hide thyself, the Lord said, cancel every preaching engagement you have this year. And he had to write dozens of letters. He said, I've cancelled everyone. I've got a job on a farm where I can finish at five. And you know what? One of my buddies from the college has done the same thing. He's gone to another farm and they're going to let him work there and me work here and we're going to meet after we've washed at night and we're going to get along with our Bibles and the Word of God. We're going to have every night from a few weeks now right until the September waiting on God. A business person said to me just recently, I don't know whether I should stay in this office all this time. In this great poem that I've mentioned to you before, find it, if you can, W.H. Meyer's great majestic poem on St. Paul. He says, God will forgive thee all, but thy despair. <clears throat> He'll forgive everything except your despair. You know what? There's no amount of mercy and pleading on a deathbed that will restore all the wasted years, all the wasted money. Sure, folk joke, I'm stingy. Sure I am. I believe from the day I got saved, every penny I have belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to me. It says in the Old Testament, oh, the Old Testament. Yeah, 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 yeah. These prosperity boys on radio always talk about the Old Testament, don't they? You know what God did for Abraham? Listen, I'll tell you something God did. Number one, when he divided Canaan, he didn't give an inch of ground to the Levites. They were to serve God entirely. But the compensation was this. Nobody could carry the ark of God but the Levites. Do you think God doesn't compensate men? I say when we get the pacifier out of our we kick. <laughs> You're giving us your own ideas. You're all right when you preach the word. Sometimes you inject your own thoughts. Well, I've got good company. Paul says the same thing. He says, I'm preaching here not by commandment. I'm telling you what's in my own mind. And I'll do that till I die. But let me say the last thing. One of the most thrilling stories I ever heard when I was a kid. I like my mother to tell it. She's a great storyteller too. And she showed us those men coming with a big rod like this, struggling and the knees were buckling and they only just made it over the border, carrying a bunch of grapes. Man alive, this week grapes were a dollar eighty a pound. That would be worth about a million dollars, I would imagine, the way price... Now, I don't know whether they were all little grapes or they were so big, you know, that the whole family ate one. I don't know. But they were so big that, man, they carried them out. Huh? They carried them out of the promised land into Egypt. Well, what do you think they did? Give them to the birds? They didn't have any hogs because they didn't believe in pigs. That'd be hard on our friend Jake here. But anyhow, they, they, they didn't believe in hogs. Have you ever visualized those people sitting down and saying, you know what? Man, these grapes. You know, I think they stuffed them with honey before they... Oh, are they luscious. Ah. Well, listen, listen, listen. There's not enough for everybody. Every, not a million people could have a grape. There weren't enough. But I'll tell you what, they were the greatest grapes. But you know what? They were happy to have the fruits of the promised land that they didn't want to go in. There happened to be 31 kings in the promised land. They didn't want to get their little fingers hurt or the fingernails crushed. I have to fight the 31 kings. And the walls were to high heaven. And everything is terrible in there, but, oh, I like the fruit. Say, are you going back again? Uh, just, 
it's John's birthday. Bring, bring me a bunch, will you? You know, I mean, you know, if you could make it real, you know. And, uh, do you think we could open an agency? Could I open a branch office or something over there? Or, uh, could we uh, get an underground railway to bring them through? They ate of the fruit of the land, but they never went in. Oh, we've been awful people. A lot of people want to be blessed and happy. They don't want to take up their cross and follow him. You see, Jesus has a cross for you that he doesn't have for me, and one for me he doesn't have for you. Oh, I'm getting old. I'm just young enough to start, and I can do it. I've nearly enough invitations to go. But you know George Muller didn't go around the world till he was 70. And then without radio or TV or anything, he preached to 7 million people after he was 70 years of age. And at 90 years of age, was as fresh as a daisy. Hmm? He must have touched some of that marvelous stuff in Romans 8, the resurrection quickening your mortal body. The spirit that worketh in us. Oh, come on, forget about the glory that shall be. It's time we had a bit right down here. It's time that we were so candidated that God whispers into your heart and says, listen, I'm going to make you one of my manifest sons. But the only way to do it, I'm going to drop you in a jungle in South America. I'm going to drop you in a hellhole in New Jersey and ask you to live your life out there and you better tell your bride before you go that... Sorry, I'm telling the flowers. You better tell your bride before you go that, 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 that this is where we're going to live. Mm. See, she loves you enough to live in a lousy, rat-infested place. Yeah, it's easy to sing, give of thy sons to bear the message glorious. It's easy to feel moved, isn't it? It's another thing to get let the Spirit of God so possess us again that I'm not just after blessing but to be made a blessing not to know little of his life but integrated with him that my life and your life may be hid as Paul says with Christ in God our prayer is that you have been blessed and encouraged by this sermon to download full sermons, go to our website, www.sermonindex.com. You can contact us through the website, and please share a testimony of how this sermon has ministered to you.